Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, we'll answer a listener question about what it means for a company to be carbon neutral. Then you'll learn about a new discovery that changes what we know about the legend of Merlin. And zoologist Bill Shutt will walk us through the giraffe's extremely bizarre circulatory system. Let's satisfy some curiosity. We got a listener question from Jeff H. in St. Paul, who asks, what do companies really mean when they say they're carbon neutral? Great question, Jeff. While you might assume that carbon neutral means a company isn't putting any more carbon into the atmosphere, that's not usually what it means. Not only that, but carbon neutral isn't the only buzzword out there that consumers need to wrestle with. There are also terms like carbon negative or climate positive, climate neutral, net zero carbon emissions, and net zero emissions, all of which mean slightly different things. To understand what these terms mean, you have to first understand the different options that companies have for helping the planet. So say you own an airline and you want to reduce your company's negative impact on the planet, which is understandable since the aviation industry contributes to around 2% of all human-caused carbon dioxide emissions. So you commit to start using lower-carbon biofuels, taking more direct flight paths, and investing in new, more eco-friendly planes. But it takes a lot of money and time to build a new plane, so in the meantime, you keep up the progress by paying for some other part of the world to cut down on its carbon emissions. That could be by preserving sections of the Amazon rainforest or by funding a wind power project in another country. You're paying for what are called carbon offsets, which are essentially a way for people, companies, and governments to cut down on carbon emissions globally when they can't do it themselves. Carbon offsets aren't foolproof. Some of these projects are more environmentally sound than others, for one thing. And in the long run, we're all going to have to cut down on our carbon emissions and even remove carbon from the atmosphere in order to slow down or reverse climate change. I mean, you can't get out of debt by paying off someone else's credit card, right? Instead, carbon offsets are kind of a stopgap measure while we all take the time and money to clean up our acts. So what does carbon neutral really mean? It means that any carbon dioxide that a company releases into the atmosphere is offset by an equivalent amount being removed somewhere else. This often includes reducing the company's own emissions, just not all of them. Carbon negative and climate positive are synonyms that take carbon neutral one step further by removing additional CO2 from the atmosphere. Climate neutral goes beyond CO2 to reduce all greenhouse gases to zero while also cleaning up any other environmental impacts. Net zero carbon emissions means basically the same thing as carbon neutral, and net zero emissions applies to all greenhouse gases, not just carbon dioxide. Hope that cleared things up. Thanks for your question, Jeff. If you have a question, send it in to curiosity at discovery.com or leave us a voicemail at 312-596-5208. Sometimes the coolest things show up in the most unexpected places. And that includes in a library in the United Kingdom. Because there, research librarians stumbled upon one of the oldest known manuscripts detailing the legend of Merlin. The text is translated from Old French and presents a fascinating twist on a typically risque Arthurian legend. 
In 2019, a librarian in Bristol was examining a 15th century French philosophy book when he found handwriting within the book's binding. Now, that's not particularly odd, given that ancient books were often recycled into new ones. But most of those had been prayer books in Latin. This was in Old French, and the librarian could distinctly make out the words Merlin and Arthur. These fragments have become known as the Bristol Merlin, which literature scholars have determined is one of the oldest examples of Arthurian legend committed to parchment. These are the classic stories that tell the tale of King Arthur and his wizard advisor, Merlin. They're a bit like the Marvel Universe, as one scholar put it. They take place in a fictional world with a set of well-known characters who appeared and interacted in different stories. This particular text contains a story from a series of legends that scholars call the Vulgate Cycle. That was originally written sometime around 1220. Based on a careful analysis of the handwriting and language used, the fragment seems to have been written somewhere in northern France not long at all after the original. The Bristol Merlin is different from known versions of the Vulgate cycle in one big way. Let's say it's the most kid-friendly take on the story that we've discovered so far. These fragments tell the tale of Merlin's encounter with the enchantress Vivian, also known as Lady of the Lake. She casts a spell that engraves three words on a ring, and that prevents men from speaking to her. Boy, how many times have you wished you had that at a bar, Ashley? So many. (laughs) (laughs) The known versions of this legend found in other texts are a lot saucier. That is, instead of engravings, they're tattoos. And instead of a ring, they're somewhere else. I'll let you use your imagination. Anyway, this is just one of more than 200 known medieval texts containing the Vulgate cycle, and each one offers a slightly different take on the stories. That's because in an age before printing presses, books were reproduced by handwriting. Because of this, it's common to have slight variations introduced by the scribe making a particular copy. In this case, the scribe may have just wanted the story to be a little more PG. Considering that most of us got our first Arthurian legend from Disney? Wow, things sure have changed. If you've ever felt lightheaded after standing up too fast, you're familiar with the way that gravity can fight with your circulatory system. So just imagine what giraffes go through. It turns out that their circulatory systems are just full of surprising safeguards to keep blood flowing all the way up those long necks to their brains. And Bill Shutt is back to tell us all about it. Bill Shutt is a zoologist at the American Museum of Natural History and author of the new book, Pump, A Natural History of the Heart. And here's what he had to tell us about giraffes. Well, they've got large hearts. So a 1,500-pound giraffe is going to have a heart that weighs about 25 pounds, about two feet long. So they've got a large heart. But if you think about it, they've got to pump blood up against gravity, and their, their necks can be six feet tall. And you know, to get blood up to their head, that's going to take a lot of energy. And so their hearts pump at a tremendously high pressure, about double human blood pressure. So giraffe hearts probably going to be 280 over 180 rather than, you know, us, we're what, 120 over 80, something like that. 
or maybe a little lower than that. But in any event, so they have a large heart to get the blood up to the places where it needs to be. But also, if you're pumping blood at that high pressure, the problem is that if it gets to the capillaries like that, it'll blow them apart. So they have, for example, their carotid arteries, just like us, carry the blood up to the brain. But they have this dense network of capillaries called a reit mirabile. And so the blood enters into these capillaries and the pressure drops. So that once the blood gets into the brain, it's at a lower pressure and is not, uh, there's no danger of it blowing these tiny little vessels apart. Now, another problem happens when a giraffe bends its head to, to drink. So if you think about that, you know, they spread their front legs and they put their heads down. How do you get blood from the head now back up the neck to the heart? And of course, it has to. There are your know, jugular veins, so the key veins that carry blood back to the heart. And you're getting gravity helping you here, right? Low pressure system veins. But in this case, what happens is, and this is kind of strange, these vessels have valves in them, so that once the blood moves up towards the heart, it can't go back down and drain back towards the head. So they have a series of up to seven valves in each of their jugular veins to keep the blood going and moving in one direction. And then, you know, if you go back to the problem that they have with high blood pressure, when we have high blood pressure, one of the problems that we can have is something called edema. And you see people with high blood pressure, their legs and feet swell up because the blood pressure is so high that it's forcing liquid in the blood out of the capillaries into the tissue. And that's why it's swollen. So what do they do? They wear pressure socks and that compresses the vessels to keep that liquid, plasma really, the liquid part of the blood, from leaving the vessels and accumulating in the tissue. And if you look at the legs of giraffes, which are under tremendously high blood pressure, because blood coming from the heart pumped out at whatever, 280 over 180, their skin is extremely tight around their legs and they are literally wearing pressure socks. What? Yeah, that keep the blood from leaving the, the vessels and accumulating in, in the tissues. So, but, but the book is just full of stuff like that, you know, and that, and to me, I didn't know about a third of these things until I went out and talked to experts and, and learned about it myself. So, so those are the types of things that, you know, you can use those types of examples to teach lessons about what happens if you have high blood pressure and why do you have swollen uh, ankles and, and that sort of thing. They have natural compression socks. Are you kidding me? Again, that was Bill Shutt, a zoologist at the American Museum of Natural History and author of the new book, Pump, A Natural History of the Heart. You can find a link to pick it up in today's show notes. Before we recap what we learned today, Ashley, give us a sneak peek at what the listener will hear next week on Curiosity Daily. Will do! Next week, you'll learn about why you probably think you've changed more in the past than you will in the future, a punching mantis shrimp robot, why mRNA vaccines are older than you think, the reason you save some items for a special occasion that never comes, and more. And we want to remind you that next Wednesday, November 3rd, will be Curiosity Daily's 1,000th episode. The episode itself will be business as usual, for the most part, but to celebrate the occasion, Ashley and I will be hosting a super fun live stream Wednesday evening. We'll be sharing some behind-the-scenes stories, playing a little bit of trivia, and answering your questions about the show. 
You can register for the live stream for free using the Eventbrite link in today's show notes or RSVP for the event on Curiosity's Facebook page. Yeah. Okay, so now let's recap what we learned today. Well, we learned that when a company says it's carbon neutral, it means that it balances any carbon emissions it puts into the atmosphere with the removal of carbon somewhere else in the world. Usually, this is used as a stopgap measure while the company invests in cleaner technology, but it's always a good idea to look into a company's specific pledges if you're trying to be climate smart with your dollars. Yeah, greenwashing is a real thing that happens when companies say things like sustainable and carbon neutral and those things don't really mean as much as they seem to. So it's always a good idea to do a little bit more digging if you're really committed to being eco-friendly yourself. Greenwashing. That's a new one. Wow. Yep. It's just it gives the sheen of being eco-friendly when it's really not. Yikes. And we learned that scholars found one of the oldest known manuscripts detailing the Arthurian legend of Merlin. Arthurian legends are a bit like the Marvel Universe, since they take place in a fictional world with lots of familiar characters that all show up and interact in different stories. This one is from a series called The Vulgate Cycle, and it's basically a cleaned-up version of the story where Merlin encounters the enchantress Vivian. And things get racy. Although in this version, it's all PG, so great. I wonder if people from Merlin's day got tired of being like, I can't keep all of these characters straight. Is Merlin the wizard? Is Arthur the wizard? What? What's this wand? There, the, the sword and the stone? I don't, I can't keep this stuff straight. Because that's how I feel about the Marvel movies. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm fixing that. I'm watching all the Marvel movies, Cody. Uh, yes, that's right. I watched the first two just ne- just this week. There you go. Oh, wait, here's my question. Is Aquaman part of the thing I have to watch? No, Aquaman is the DC universe. Oh, okay. All right, good. Marvel has Namor, the submariner, who is different than Aquaman, though they are aquatic <laughs> analogs in the different comic publishing realms. Got it. Hey, that's what I'm here for. And we also learned that giraffe hearts are pretty huge and pump into super high pressure to get blood where it needs to go. Like, you know, up their long necks and into their brains. They also have a complex series of valves to regulate pressure. And they have natural, quote unquote, pressure socks to keep the liquid part of their blood from leaving their blood vessels and building up in their tissue. I mean, I learned so much from just this tiny bit of the interview. I didn't know why people with high blood pressure got edema or or swelling in their legs. I didn't realize that it was because the pressure is so high that it's forcing fluid out of the blood. And then I didn't realize that giraffes have this natural, they, they wear little pressure socks just like humans do for the same problem. Nature's so weird. I love it so much. Giraffe hearts, man. It's like a whole nother planet. The writer for today's Merlin story was Cameron Duke. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer, who is also a writer and audio editor on today's episode. Our producer and lead audio editor is Cody Goff. Have a great weekend. Happy Halloween. I hope you get some really good candy. 100 grand, totally underrated. Then join us again Monday to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.